This is Dale Josie, and welcome to my podcast series, Aging with Grace 55 Plus, designed for anyone who wants to enjoy the journey of a lifetime after age 55. Episode 8 of Season 2 is made possible by AARP Kentucky, DPL Financial Partners, and today's Transitions Magazine for Seniors. This series provides useful tips not only for taking care of self, family, and friends, but also how to enjoy life more abundantly than many thought even possible for people ages 55, 65, 75, and beyond. Some of our guests doing what many listeners only dream about or perhaps never even thought possible. So, relax and enjoy their stories on this unique lifestyle podcast and be prepared to share your own along with hearing useful tips and vital information for everyone aging with grace. By the way, if you have a story idea that would appeal to our age group, then please email D-A-L-E at A-W-G-55 com, Or drop a note in the mail addressed to me, care of Aging with Grace 55 Plus, P.O. Box 99112, Louisville, Kentucky 40269. In a few moments, you'll hear more from an interesting interview titled what I Know Now, featuring co-founder Stephen McCrocklin and his wife, Claudia, of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Centers, as it appears in the summer edition of today's Transitions Magazine with a focus on intentions. Then, Dr. Elizabeth Rodas, an assistant professor with the University of Kentucky, UK Sanders Brown Center on Aging and Alzheimer's, stops by to discuss her exciting research project, Healthy Brain Aging Across the Bluegrass, targeting at-risk and underserved populations in Franklin, Mercer, and Madison counties. Few people like to think about aging, right? Well, (laughs) the truth is, we start getting older from the moment we are born and therefore may consider it either a blessing or a curse. Welcome to the place where growing older is always celebrated at Aging with Grace 55+. Actress Selma Hayek is the first American actress to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress, and she has additionally earned nominations for a Golden Globe Award Screen Actors Guild Award, and British Academy Film Award. Actress Kira Knightley is known for her work in both independent films and blockbuster movies, particularly period dramas including Pirates of the Caribbean. She has received numerous accolades, including nominations for two Academy Awards, three British Academy Film Awards, and a Laurence Olivier Award. The prolific actor and film producer Tom Cruise, worth an estimated $600 million, has appeared in over 40 films. All three prolific 
actors. Salma Hayek, Kara Knightley, and Tom Cruise are some of Hollywood's brightest stars, and each one of them has dyslexia. As you listen to my next interview featuring the founder of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Centers, please keep in mind no matter where you go in the world, you will find dyslexic individuals who have achieved success despite experiencing early difficulties with reading and writing. Well, that's because dyslexia is not a disability. Rather, it is a different way of processing language in the brain. It also comes with positives, such as enhanced creativity, an ability to see the big picture, and a facility of being able to bring together material from different subject areas, which translates into keen problem-solving skills. So, lean in and find out how this seemingly irrelevant trivia relates to my next guest on Season 2, Episode 8 of Aging with Grace 55+. plus. This segment of Aging with Grace 55+, plus goes behind an interesting interview, What I Know Now, featuring Stephen McCrocklin, whom you will meet shortly, in addition to his wife, Claudia, who is also co-founder of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Centers. You can read their entire story as an interview published in the latest edition of Today's Transitions, available on Wirex and online, todaystransitionsnow.com. And in full candor, we appreciate Today's Transitions magazine, which is one of three sponsors of this podcast series, along with AARP Kentucky and DPL Financial, all three making Aging with Grace 55 plus podcast series a reality. Inside the summer 2022 edition titled Intentions, you'll enjoy reading numerous stories for seniors. Each edition includes dozens of topics and resources under headings with drop down menus, including find help, beautiful living, living options in addition to the magazine online. Today's Transitions is a tremendous resource for everyone, meaning those of us who are aging, hopefully with grace, and also those who love and care for seniors. As we go to our next guest, our next guest is very intriguing, Stephen McLaughlin. Uh, He has a story in this current edition, the summer edition of Today's Transitions called Intentions. It's called What I Know Now. And Steve has an interesting uh, background, especially as a founder of the Langsford Center. Steve, are you there? I am. Good day. Good day to you too, matey. Sounds like we're in a pub in England. How goes it? (laughs) (laughs) It goes great today. It goes great. Appreciate the opportunity to be on with you, Dale. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we're talking about the uh, Langsford uh, Acceleration, I butchered that name, the Langsford Learning Acceleration Center concept, the origins of it comes out of something very intriguing where you admit that you struggled with reading in school. 
Yeah, our origin story here is a really uh, fun and unique one. Reading for me was not easy. I looked around through the early elementary years and people would open books and read them and enjoy them and laugh out loud. And I was um, I was not that student that that eluded me. I just saw a bunch of ink on a page and and some and uh, by the time I advanced, even the pictures were gone and I was just stuck with words and that, that I couldn't read or decode. And so I, I did not grow up with the joy of reading. Um, I memorized enough words to be successful in high school and went on and have a degree in, in the sciences that allowed me to avoid a lot of reading. Um, but reading was a struggle for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? I think a majority of us, would you agree, take reading and learning for granted? We enter school, uh, we apply seemingly natural skills to the subject study, but for others, see, spot, run is just not that simple, right? Yeah, see, spot, run for me and many others is just a glob of ink uh, that doesn't represent or it's it we're not able to break the code of the language so the symbols do not represent sounds and words and so i think the key thing in literacy that that little by little i think we're starting to understand more fully outside of the science of reading is that learning to read is not a natural process learning to speak is a natural process our brains are pre-wired to learn to speak we don't have to go to school to learn how to speak Mm-hmm. But learning to read is a cultural invention. Mm-hmm. We, we literally invented 26 shapes that we call letters or symbols that represent 44 sounds. And we're, you know, that's all invented. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. idea of reading left to right is an invention. Other languages go right to left. So mm-hmm. it is not a natural process. And thus, a lot of people don't master it because we're not wired for it. Well, that's interesting. And this, and in my research uh, into this, uh, our, for our conversation, our interview today, um, there's a large proportion of the U.S. population has difficulty learning to read. And then they begin to act out in other areas in school, which then goes towards negative behavior and negative outcomes, uh, and including their, as they develop into adults. Is that about right, my friend? That's exactly what the data tells us, and it's reliably, and it's not even just the U.S., it's other countries as well, for sure. And then you have the uh, compounding that. You have folks who, uh, who, can, who cannot read. They have the added frustration of having average to above average intelligence, yet they're falling short of their academic potential. That doesn't make sense when you look at it at face value. It really doesn't, and sadly, um, as a society in general, I think that we look at reading as a yardstick of intelligence, and it's not at all. They're not correlated. We have plenty of very bright people that can't read well, and we have plenty of people that aren't very bright that can read quite well. So the mechanics of lifting you know, words off a page and converting those into sounds, which is what we do when we read, is, is, is again, it's a learned process. Not everyone has some of, there's a bridge, there's some brain circuit, the science of reading has really informed us about how kids learn to read, where they get stuck and what you can do about it. And it turns out that there are some brain circuits that need to help be in place to bridge us from a spoken language to a written language. Mm -hmm. And that circuit for many people is just not, again, pre-wired in a way that, that it meets where a child needs to be when they start school. 
Interesting. And that just causes, yeah, that causes that whole domino series that you're describing, where if you don't learn to read well, you don't tend to read. If you don't tend to read, it's hard to build vocabulary. It's hard to get background experience. It's hard to become a good writer because kids don't write better than they read. Mm-hmm. So it really begins this whole domino process that really evolves into what you're saying ultimately, which is where I become most concerned, is that kids don't feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to it's hard to soar when you have these areas that are valued in our society that you're just inherently bad at doing. And so it does cause the acting out behaviors. I mean, what do you do when you're sitting in school all day and you can't read, you can't, you can't write well, you don't um, have the vocabulary that other kids have. You just start to feel bad about yourself. Well, what I like about this interview and also about your backstory, uh, Stephen, is that uh, you are, were dyslexic. Correct. And so for you to come to grips, number one, with that uh, in a society with expectations, how did you transform yourself in terms of becoming not only a prolific reader, but also a founder of the uh, Langsford Learning Center Institute? Yeah, so so Langsford was born out of these difficulties that I had going through school. And I partnered with a incredible woman who I went on to marry, who had her background in education. And we decided that either we can complain about the challenges that we see in education and, uh, or we can, or we can do something about it. And so we, we started understanding the science of reading, what we knew to be true and what not, what was not true and partnered together. And so we've, followed what I call the starship, the starfish model. (laughs) And that is, you know, understanding that while I can't change the world, I can do our best to change one child, you know, one, one starfish at a time, we can throw back in the water. And uh, that's been our models a one-to-one model where we can really wrap ourselves around the needs of that specific student, that, that, that child, and then help lift them up, guide them to becoming independent. So um, yeah. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Finish your thought. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Just so that, um, so when I found some solutions to my own reading difficulties later, it became a clear call and mission to make this different for other students. Mm -hmm. That there was no need for me to have the struggles that I had. And that's especially true now because we do understand the science of reading. We understand what we understand where to meet a child. We understand how to meet a child where they are and guide them to independent, successful reading. And so that was the mission. We'll, um, we'll meet your delightful uh, partner for your uh, partner in business and also uh, your wife, Claudia, in a few moments. I think it's intriguing how you even named it Langsford. Off mic, you shared with me an interesting story why you call it Langsford. Learning Acceleration Center. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Langsford stands for language forward. And that name, it also turns out that my last name uh, is McCrocklin and my wife's last name, maiden name was Shervenak. So neither one of those names really <laughs> lend themselves well to something that anyone can reasonably read and spell. 
So it could have been the McCrocken Shervenak Learning Acceleration Center, which just doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, whereas Langsford does, right? No, and it doesn't roll off the pencil either when you write it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So what I like about your approach and and uh, for parents who are in, who also are in this situation with their children, I like the fact that you say you measure where the child is. Uh, in 25 different areas, then you build for the student. Flesh that out a little bit, Stephen. What does that look like? Yeah, so I'll approach this sort of from a, 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 a perspective or a contrast. So what's ordinarily done in education when the child has a difficulty reading is they enroll the child in a program. And that program has already been created that's written by an author who's actually never met that child and has produced a whole series of materials. And as a teacher, you're expected to carry that program out with fidelity, meaning fidelity to a program that's been written that's that, again, doesn't understand or has never met the child. So we do the complete opposite of that. We take time, do a pretty comprehensive reading evaluation, again, guided by the science of reading that give us 25 data points of exactly where that child is in a whole variety of areas. And then we build a unique program for that student. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, it, it, it makes just, it's an entirely different approach. That's significantly more effective. We can, we can get better gains in really less than half the amount of hours. This is so good. And before we go to break and meet Claudia, your, uh, your wife and also co-founder of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Center, what's your website, uh, Steven, in case folks want more information? Yeah, easiest one is weteachreading.com. We teach no reading. Punctuation. No punctuation. We teach reading.com. And for our listeners, we will be back after this short break and we'll hear more from uh, Stephen McCracken, where his, where his wife Claudia will join us as they both found it. And we'll continue the story of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Center as published in this month's, in the summer edition of Intentions published by Today's Transitions magazine. We'll return after this short break for more trivia. The successful entrepreneur Sir Richard Branson is an English business magnate who founded the Virgin Group in the 1970s and which today controls Virgin Airlines and more than 400 companies in various fields. The late Steve Jobs was the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple and is widely recognized as a pioneer of the personal computer revolution of the 1970s and 80s. Both men made use of their dyslexic brains to build billion-dollar companies. Matter of fact, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and JFK left indelible marks on history as presidents of the United States of America, regardless of their spelling ability. Legendary scientists Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and painters Leonardo da Vinci, along with Pablo Picasso, possessed some of the greatest minds and talents in history. And yes, they too were dyslexic. So no matter where you go in history, or in the world today, you will find dyslexic individuals who have achieved success despite experiencing early difficulties with reading and writing. Now, the conclusion of my interview as we meet Claudia 
McCorklin. Welcome back to this edition of Aging with Grace 55+. Plus. I'm your host, Dale Josie, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Stephen McCrocklin, and also we're going to be joined shortly by his wife, Claudia, and together they have founded a very interesting concept called Langsford Learning Acceleration Center. You can read more of their interview with them in this month's edition of today's Transitions magazine entitled Intentions, which is a summer uh, edition, where you'll find numerous stories for seniors, each one intriguing, including this one, in addition to resources that you can also find to help those who are aging, hopefully with grace, in your lives. And, And full candor, today's Transitions Now is one of the sponsors of my podcast series, Aging with Grace 55+. Plus. In addition to Kentucky, AARP, and also DPL Financial. Claudia, you are now part of this journey as well in the founding of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Center. Uh, And not only are you Stephen's wife, but you're also the education director. I'm sure you've had some incredible uh, successes in the classroom employing the Langsford Learning uh, Acceleration Center models. Share those with us one or two? Yeah, so uh, actually I was only in the classroom for one year and uh, I quickly realized that um, I was not going to be able to meet the needs of the students that I was working with in a group setting. And at the same time, I learned about, uh, I met Stephen and learned about some methodology that was really captivating in making uh, real differences with kids. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's when we decided to make the shift and um, work together to provide one-on-one work for students where we clearly saw, you know, significant improvement because we could individualize the work that we were doing for that student and in a particular day and what they needed. Mm-hmm. And so that started, I guess, uh, 30 years you guys have been uh, doing this since January of 1992. So you've been at this for a while. Yes. Yes. And we were actually partners in business before we married. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a, a pretty big leap of faith. But um, mm-hmm. as most marriages are. <laughs> <laughs> My wife will hear that. Sorry, babe. I I love you dearly, but but carry on, Claudia. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, a commitment in in both areas. Yeah, so um, it's just been a real honor and a joy to both work together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people say, how in the world do you work together? Mm -hmm. Uh, We share an office, actually. And um, we're just really good partners. We, we complement each other well. Uh, we figured out how to utilize each of our strengths to implement the science of reading and to make a difference for kids. And uh, it, the, success, the success of the kids day in and day out, year after year, is what keeps us going all these years. A moment ago, I was thinking about uh, an article I read in the New York Times, and it talked about how we've had a lost two years in education due to the pandemic uh, that's uh, really affected a lot of uh, young people, especially in the lower grades. Um, so in terms of, of the pandemic, uh, how have you guys survived 
And, and how do you continue to work independently in terms of helping and building your team to really thrive, not only the team, but also individuals to grow professionally and personally? Right. Yeah, the pandemic definitely changed things for for students in learning in school and and us dramatically. Uh, and the the obvious shift the obvious shift that happened is we went from a hundred percent in person model just as it was for students in school to a hundred percent online. Our initial fear and concern was that what we were doing wouldn't translate as well online and, and that we wouldn't be able to guide students to the same outcomes. What we found was exactly the opposite. We found that the outcomes for students are just identical to that as in, in person. And for some even better, they weren't um, having to commute. Uh, they were able to stay in the comfort and privacy of their own home while they were working again through this hero's journey. So we have been just thrilled with the progress that we've seen kids achieve for themselves you know, with this guidance. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that the pandemic has absolutely impacted the reading skills of large groups of kids, uh, that, that we already had a distribution or a spread of, of reading skills across the ages and grades, and this just amplified it even more. Wow. Wow. And, and so that, yeah, that match with some isolation and other pieces uh, gave a huge opportunity uh, for our instructors to really connect with kids. At this time when they weren't able to connect with their friends, they've been able to connect with a caring, loving adult for a session or two a day. And really everyone got lifted up through that process and continues to get lifted up through the process. In terms of the process itself, um, Stephen, in your interview in this current edition of uh, Intentions published by Today's Transitions, you have learned a couple of things about yourself, one of which you need to slow down and not be quick to over-generalize or assume anything. Um, how does that help you with working with children and family over the years, not to over-generalize or assume anything? And how did that change who you are and how you approach life? I've really leaned in and continued to practice this idea that I've got a lot more to learn if I listen um, and our ability to meet not only a student where they are in their journey, uh, but also instructors and staff on where they are on their journey. And often I will go into something with my head full of thoughts and ideas and tend to want to start from that place. And I have really learned and seen the value of slowing down and exploring where that person is, whether they're six or 60, mm -hmm. and, and really using that as a point of departure. And it's made a world of difference uh, for me and I, I think other staff people would agree. Yeah. And if you say six to 60, that suggests that uh, learning is a lifetime process. Is that correct, Claudia? That we never truly stop learning. There's always potential to learn, as Stephen referenced, age 60 to 60 plus. Absolutely. And we've worked with plenty of adults who struggled all through school and 
decided that they really wanted to make a difference for themselves, uh, despite the fact that they were grown adults, you know, functioning in their lives. Um, that frustration of not being able to read easily sort of always stayed with them. So, um, and lifelong learning is, is what we hope for every person that we work with. For our listeners, you've been listening to Stephen uh, and Claudia McCrocklin. Uh, they are founders and co-founders of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Center, centers, plural. And for more information, you can also go to their website, weteachreading.com, and be sure to read their full interview in the summer edition titled Intentions, published by Today's Transitions magazine. Steve and Claudia, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you, Dale. Thanks, Dale. Great to talk with you. My next guest on this edition of Aging with Grace 55 Plus is Dr. Elizabeth Rodas, who is an assistant professor with the University of Kentucky Sanders Brown Center on Aging and Alzheimer's. Over the past 25 years, the center has developed a vigorous program in the clinical, neuropathological, educational, and research aspects of Alzheimer's disease that serves as a critical resource for the university community, state, and nation. Part of its educational and outreach mission, specifically in the area of, the, of community, is a perfect segue to meeting our next guest, Dr. Elizabeth Rodas, assistant professor at the center, who is spearheading an ambitious new program called Drumroll Aging, I'm sorry, Drum roll, <laughs> healthy brain aging across Kentucky. I got ahead of myself on that one. Dr. Rodas, how are you? And welcome to Aging with Grace. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And please feel free to call me Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. I will. I always tease my kids that if I was uh, if I was able to earn a doctorate as you have, they would call me Doctor Dad. I mean, that's just the way I would roll with this. So, because <laughs> not like yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, because not like you're just handing those out, right? So uh, anyway, welcome to uh, Aging with Grace. Um, before we discuss your interesting initiative, uh, which is absolutely amazing as I was reading about it, what are some of the current outreach and other clinical programs at the Sanders Brown Center on Aging that promote healthy brain aging? Yeah, that's a great question. We have so many different programs that we're engaging older adults we have things, um, we have a longitudinal cohort that's called the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center Longitudinal Cohort. And we're enrolling healthy adults. There is a special emphasis on adults of minority status. And we're really trying to understand the aging process when people have normal cognition. And then we monitor them or we test them once a year. And we watch them for as long as they want to stay enrolled, but typically until people pass away. And in that program, people also are donating their brains at the end of life. So we have a fantastic neuropathologist, Dr. Pete Nelson, who then looks at the pathology of people's brains. So we can follow them in our clinical cohort. And that's ran by Dr. Greg Jica. And he brings people in, tests them once a year. And then we follow them all the way through their journey as they age. We also right. have several other clinical trials for medication development. And I run... Um, behavioral and caregiver-based clinical trials as well for the people who do start to have cognitive impairment. How do we help them age in place or age where they want to and manage the behavioral symptoms that come along with the cognitive impairment? 
Yeah, and I think that's the goal of everyone aging with grace or otherwise is that we want to age in place. And I think that's imperative as part of your mission and outreach and clinical studies there at the university. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. That I think that that's one of the course. And growing up in rural Kentucky and eastern Kentucky, we we want to stay home, right? And we don't have mm-hmm. a lot of great resources that are abundant and affordable to age elsewhere. Um, so we also know that people who are older typically want to stay in their homes for as long as possible. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. So in my background as an occupational therapist, I've worked with patients and people with memory impairment for a long time. I also have realized that we can't help that person without also helping the caregiver. So we have, like I mentioned earlier, we have a couple clinical trials developing, they call it non-pharmacological. So it's not medicine, but it's behavioral interventions to support people who are living with dementia. But one of the things that I've realized by working a lot in rural Kentucky and elsewhere is that there, there's a stigma with getting a diagnosis um, or, or getting that medical care specifically related to, to brain aging. So in thinking about some solutions of how can we help tackle this so that we can help people with early inter- identification and early intervention. So we want to help people as soon as possible to have the best out- clinical and health outcomes. We thought well, about the idea. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Your, finish your thought, Dr. Otis. I'm sorry. We thought about a program of doing increased health screens or cognitive screens. But if we only do cognitive screens, again, we're running into this element of stigma and people might not come. So then we were thinking about how can we, how can we help in a different way? So we have developed this program or framework to offer health screens for a a list of uh, modifiable risk factors like diabetes and hypertension and cholesterol. And we're going to slide memory impairment and cognition right in there. So then it becomes a package that we're doing health screens with. Mm -hmm. And we partner that program with telehealth and UK healthcare so that when we identify people that have needs, we get them access to the care that they need. That's excellent. Um, I want to back up to something. You said a stigma. What is the stigma surrounding? Surely not aging. Right. So it's more about how people perceive themselves as aging. And, and a lot of people think that they're invincible, right? And things things don't happen to them or they won't happen to them in, until they do. Especially um, males. We are <laughs> invincible until nature says you're not. But I just thought I'd say that for all the men listening, but go ahead, Elizabeth, carry on. Cause that's a fallacy as I'm, as I continue to live, I, uh, every day I see that as a fallacy. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, there's good, there's truth to you're fine until you're not right. But good, good point. At the same time, we also want to make people feel comfortable to have their memory screened, just like it's as comfortable to have your blood pressure screened or a finger stick to get your blood, blood sugar screened. We also need to be talking about your cognitive health in that same regard, but it's kind of like the big C in that we don't, people are hesitant to do the cancer screens because it's a scary thing. And when we do a memory screen, if we identify that there's a problem, it's a scary process. And we don't have the medications to stop or reverse Alzheimer's disease and dementia now. So a lot of people think if I get this diagnosis, nothing's going to change, but the medicines that we do have have a significant and, and appropriate um, way to slow down the progression. Mm-hmm. And it can kind of change the course of your aging 
if you get on those medications and recognition of your diagnoses as soon as possible. So really the goal of this program is early identification and early intervention with medications and, and lifestyle change. And we're also partnering with local primary care providers to say, hey, if you don't have a primary care provider, here's one that we know that's accepting new people. And we're also building in more connections with Ken Kentucky Connect. So that's a, the Medicaid program because mm -hmm. we're realizing that a lot of people are actually uninsured. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, if you, if you are uninsured and you don't have a primary care provider and you don't have access to healthcare screens, mm -hmm. so many people are going undiagnosed. That's a good point. And, and here's the other thing, though. Not only those going undiagnosed, Elizabeth, but I was reading uh, where, uh, according to Alzheimer's Association, one in three older adults die with a form of Alzheimer's. But here's the kicker, uh, which really surprised me. This number is even higher in minority and underserved communities. So are minority and underserved communities part of the thrust of the Healthy Brain Aging Across the Bluegrass Initiative? Yeah, absolutely. So that number, it's actually around 40% of people who are minority status are passing away with a form of Alzheimer's disease or dementia. So that's almost wow. two older adults who are minorities are passing away of a, of a type of di uh, Alzheimer's disease or dementia. So we kind of sit back and we ask, why is that? You know, we know from a basic science approach that genetically we're pretty much all the same, regardless of our race. So then we kind of have to look back the social determinants of health of what is it about the place and the situation that you're in that's changing the care and the options and care utilization among the races. So we know that Kentucky is significantly medically underserved. We just don't have enough physicians and doctors. So that is even more so for older adults. If you look at some of the public health departments, they have great programs for family planning and younger adults. Right, that's but, correct. But the older adults don't really have a whole lot of options. There are senior centers um, throughout the entire state, and there's the, the Area Dis Development District Area Agency on Aging and Independent Living, and they have fantastic resources, but they're not necessarily related to healthcare and healthcare access and utilization. So we're really taking this momentum and this framework to bring healthcare out of the walls of the University of Kentucky or wherever it may be and put it into the hands, directly into the hands of people who need it the most in the underserved communities. And we That's know really, that, oh, go ahead. we're just going to say, we know that it's hard enough if you're an underserved community, it's even harder if you're a minority in an underserved community. As we go to our close, uh, Elizabeth, uh, you mentioned three counties that you're in, Franklin, Mercer, what was the third county? Madison. Madison. And why those three counties? How were they selected as part of the, uh, as part of the uh, program, the focus yeah. of this uh, project? In 2019 and 2020, the Us Against Alzheimer's Association or, or Us Against Alzheimer's program published a document that looked at Medicare rates and diagnoses, so Medicare usage among diagnoses. And they found a list, the top, the top 25 counties in the United States for prevalence of Alzheimer's disease among African-Americans and Latinos. Franklin County is number two in the country for Alzheimer's disease prevalence among African-Americans. Mercer County, Kentucky is number 16. So when we look as a state 
of the people that we're caring for and who are we're helping support age in place. If 40%, if we already know in general, 40% of people who are minorities are dealing with these. And then in Kentucky, we have two of the highest counties in the country. That's staggering. Wow. We're taking these data that are published. We're combining it with an evidence, evidence-based approach with health screens and telehealth access. And we're trying to move the needle a little bit towards the positive direction in providing care for people who may need it the most. I'm an affiliate faculty member of the Center for Health Equity Transformation, and I'm physically located in this, um, we call it CHET, Center for Health Equity Transformation. So I have an abundance of resources. There's so much enthusiasm and and I'm just in a great place to hopefully make an impact and really help older adults in Kentucky. I like that. I have an opportunity and a privilege to talk to a lot of folks doing a lot of cool different things. I love the enthusiasm, especially for seniors in Kentucky who, according to my program title, are indeed aging with grace. Uh, but before we leave, uh, again, what's your phone number or what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Absolutely. My office phone number is 859-257-5562. They can also email me at elizabeth.rodus, that's R-H-O-D-U-S, at uky.edu. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And I, and I appreciate you saying call you Elizabeth, but I'll end with saying thank you, Dr. Rodas. And I certainly look forward to hearing uh, and sharing more programming uh, from you over the next five years. This is an interesting initiative that we've been talking about, which is healthy brain aging across the bluegrass. And it is being spearheaded by Dr. Rodas, who, who we just heard from, as part of an interesting initiative from the University of Kentucky Sanders Brown Center on Aging and Alzheimer's. Good luck to you. Best wishes, Elizabeth, and have a great day. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for another edition of Aging with Grace 55 Plus. Many thanks to my guests, Stephen and Claudia McCrocklin, founders of the Langsford Learning Acceleration Centers, and Elizabeth Dr. Elizabeth Rodas from the UK Sanders School on Aging and Alzheimer's. Trust you enjoyed listening to both guests as much as I truly enjoyed interviewing them. Drop me a line as I'd love to hear from you. Please send it to D-A-L-E at A-W-G-55.com. Remember, aging is not a time of diminishment but application of lessons taught by some of our best teachers, including experience. And now for the last thought of the day from James Clear, author of the book, Atomic Habits. Clear writes, good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been your host, Dale Josie of Aging with Grace 55+. Plus.